So hello everybody and welcome to What Do Scientists Do? It's a show where I talk to a different science guest each episode and they teach us all about their favorite science topics as well as what it's like to work as a scientist. And I'm super excited for today's episode because I am joined by former U.S. astronaut Dottie Metcalf Lindenberger. Hi Dottie, would you give us how you like to be addressed with your name and your pronouns? Yes, hi, I'm Dottie Metcalf Lindenberger and my pronouns are she and her. So Dottie, what kind of scientist are you? By training, I am a geologist. And uh, I also though like to just say I am a STEM advocate because I was a science teacher and I taught everything from meteorology to astronomy and of course all the um, earth sciences and specifically geology too. Cool. So what do you study right now as a geologist? Yeah, right now as a geologist, I like to say I work for Spaceship Earth. So I do soil, sediment, and groundwater remediation, which means I help clean up chemicals or metals or different things that have been left behind in the Earth's surface that could cause contamination to our water and make it just harder for us to live the, the lives that we want to live. So I help clean it up. And um, that's been really important to me as a retired astronaut, because again, we live on a spaceship and I want to make sure that it is ready for the next generation. I love that. So what are some ways that you clean it up? Yeah, um, well, one of the interesting ways that I was surprised when I first came into the field is that we can actually inject through tools that go down into the earth, you know, maybe to depths of 50, 60 feet is a maximum vegetable oil. And we use this vegetable oil for bacteria to live off of and specific types of bacteria that help break down whatever we're trying to clean up. That's one way of cleaning up plumes, especially of groundwater uh, with specific contaminants. But in other ways, you know, sometimes it's like just pumping out the water and then treating it at the Earth's surface um, so that it, it can then be injected back in. But when it's injected, it's now clean. It's had whatever was in it removed. So there's like lots of different ways to remediate. But the vegetable oil one surprised me when I first came into the, the occupation. Yeah, that is surprising because you think of just oil in general as this bad thing for the environment. It's surprising that you would be putting something there that doesn't seem like it quite belongs there, but in order to help out. So that's really interesting to me as well. So how did you get into this kind of work? What was it about your experience as an astronaut that led to you becoming a geologist and helping take care of Spaceship Earth? Yeah, so I was a geologist by training and I really loved thinking about the applications, again, even before I went to space, this was when I was an undergrad, I wanted to be able to apply the science. Uh, I think it's a fascinating science. I love being outdoors. So some of those things were attractive to me. I got to be outdoors, but also that I was applying it to make the place I live better. So when I came back from being an astronaut and decided to retire from the agency and move back to Washington State, I went actually back to school to get more um, specifics 
in the remediation and how we, what type of tools, like I said, that we use and, and how we work on teams with engineers and all the different types of equipment. So I went back to school for that because I have a daughter at that time when she was much younger, now she's in high school, but I want to make sure that the planet that we leave behind is, is in a good place for her and the next generations. And so I felt it was so important to help be a part of the solution and not just talk about it. I love that. So was it your perspective? Was being able to see the earth from space very impactful for you in this way? Would you say that that was a part of it? That is definitely part of it. When you first see the thin atmosphere and then you think about ocean water versus fresh water, and then you think about the land and the land that I saw from space, I, I had not seen some of these vast deserts. You know, I grew up in Colorado, so I've, I've always lived in places where water is um, of a shortage, but never like seen um, places where there just really isn't fresh water. So definitely looking back at our planet and thinking about it in that way, that it really is our spaceship. Um, and literally that thin atmosphere is what we all share and need. And I wasn't an atmospheric scientist. So what I knew that I could contribute to is then working with the, the soils and the surface of the earth, the geology portion. And I took classes in hydrology so then I could also work for the freshwater too. So definitely it was very impactful to see our planet from a different perspective and to see places I'd never been to and think about the criticality of all of these things, air, clean water, and clean land. That makes sense. I imagine that anybody looking back at the earth would be thinking of at least some of those things, even if they're not already an earth scientist. So when did you go to space and yeah. what was your job for NASA? What was your job both before you went up and while you were up there? Yeah, so I went to space in April of 2010. Uh, specifically, I was there from April 5th to April 20th of 2010. And um, I had lots of jobs. So when an astronaut comes into the core, whether it's for the NASA Astronaut Corps or the Canadian Space Agency, European Space Agency, Japanese Space Agency, they go through a lot of training. And basically we have to become kind of a, a person that can do multiple jobs, not just the job that we originally did. And so um, my job though, specifically on this space shuttle flight was to be a flight engineer, which means I didn't help fly the vehicle, but I sat behind the commander and pilot and help make sure and monitor that everything was going right on launch and landing. And um, once I was in space, I was a robotic arm operator. And that's significant because the Canadian Space Agency built our robotic arm. And then I also was a, um, I like to say a mover. We had six tons of equipment and science and like literally a bedroom for astronauts to live on, live in on the International Space Station. So we had to move all of this equipment back, back into the space station or into the space station for the first time. But in space, you can't just move without removing something, right? Like things float and they don't set down. So you have to be able to put something into a place, but that requires usually removing something too. 
So I was a very specific space mover. <laughs> so I got a lot of logistics. And then I was part of the spacewalk team. So even though I didn't go outside and do the actual spacewalk, I helped support our spacewalkers. So I got to wear multiple hats in space. And that's really what astronauts do that are coming from one of our government agencies to go to space. They wear multiple hats. So even if they've been engineers, scientists, doctors, pilots, you know, they're going to have to do a lot of different jobs. And we go through this training to prepare for that. So it was really fun and interesting, sometimes hard, um, but definitely rewarding. That's so cool. So you really did a little bit of everything there. And I'd imagine that everybody's probably prepared to also take over other people's jobs in case something happens. And there must be so much training that goes into it. How long was your training? Yeah, specifically for our class, when we come in initially as astronauts, it was a year and a half. And we start out with things like doing survival training because we'll be in vehicles. Some of those vehicles are airplanes as we train regularly here on Earth. But of course, we'll be in a space vehicle. And so understanding like what you need to survive and how you can make do with little things. Um, so we start out with that. Then, of course, flight training is really important. Um, so we get to start in a slower aircraft, which in our case was the T-34. Now they use a T-6, um, which is used by our pilots back here, the training for military. And then we move into the T-38 trainer, which is a plane that can go faster than the speed of sound. Um, and it's just a really versatile um, aircraft. It's also really good in helping train teamwork and in um, learning like what really is important in the moment. So like learning how to focus with the teamwork, with the checklist, with all the systems you have. And then after we do that training, we move into the vehicle training. And in our case, we learned both the space shuttle and the space station. Now astronauts would be of course like really involved in the space station. And then these new commercial vehicles that they might fly on. So we did that training and robotic arm training and spacewalk training, which is in a huge pool we call the neutral buoyancy lab. And this swimming pool is 40 feet deep and 100 feet by 200 feet. So it's a giant pool. And we use water to kind of simulate floating because, of course, we have to build and operate things in space. And so it's a good way to train us. So all of that took, you know, a year and a half. And then as a crew, we did another year and a half of training. So by the time I flew in space, I'd had three specific focus years of training. But then while I was waiting, I waited for uh, six years before I actually took off in the vehicle. And so in addition, those other three years that add up to the six, we continue training, but we also support in different jobs in the office. So those jobs can be like maybe talking to astronauts on a daily basis as a capsule communicator, maybe working with teams to help, you know, fly the right equipment to space, make sure that space, that equipment is checked out, um, supporting checklists. There's just a lot of different jobs that you can do while you're also kind of keeping and maintaining your training. Wow, yeah, that sounds like the kind of job for people who love doing a little bit of everything. What would you say is your favorite thing 
that you got to do as an astronaut? Oh, yeah. So even though, like I said, I didn't go outside for an actual spacewalk, I loved being on that team, both the training on Earth, because I loved being in the neutral buoyancy lab and actually working in the spacesuit underwater and thinking through the problem solving and the teamwork that's needed. But then when we were actually in space executing these spacewalks, I was the person talking to our spacewalkers for the, the six to eight hours that they were outside. And I loved it. It just felt like, you know, you're on top of everything. You're watching, you're, you're thinking through the checklist with them. You're problem solving. You're working with the ground team. We also had to have some support from the robotic arm operators that, that were in space too with us. So it's just it's great teamwork. And I would say that's some of my favorite work that I did as an astronaut. I didn't realize that spacewalks took that long. You said six to eight hours. Yes. Um, and the robotic arm that you keep mentioning is the Canadarm, correct? Or maybe correct. it was the Canadarm 2 by that point? I'm not sure when um, they switched well, there was, it. There was multiple arms. So we had the Canadian built arm that was then part of the space shuttle. So we used that robotic arm. And that's what I specifically flew in space. And then we used the large which um, SSRMS, the Space Station Robotic Manipulation System. <laughs> um, it's the really big one that's able to kind of like work like an inchworm across the space station. And so we had um, like Stephanie Wilson and Jim Dutton. Those two were kind of our operators while we were doing the spacewalks outside. And so they were helping us move equipment and put things into position or pick up things that we were working with that are too big for us to move. So for example, we replaced an ammonia tank. This ammonia tank weighs 2000 pounds on earth. And so it can't just be moved, even though in space things float, you still have to manipulate that mass out, which that means you still have to like be able to speed it up and slow it down. And it's just so much bigger than us as a person that it could damage the spacecraft if we couldn't slow it down. So we use the robotic arm to help us with that. I like to kind of think of it as like a crane. That makes so much more sense when you think of it as a crane too. I feel like something just clicked for me because I always think, well, what can it really pick up if it needs to pick up tiny things? But having humans help it out and using more than just one tool would definitely help with that. Yes, exactly. It has a nice end effector that works with multiple different types of tools and tools can be plugged into it as well. And so, yes, it can carry humans, it can carry equipment, it can even move modules. So pretty awesome. That's pretty cool. Would you say that that's your favorite science related thing that you've ever done helping out with those spacewalks or do you have something else that you would say is your favorite thing? I would definitely say that that's my favorite thing overall. But if I think back down here on Earth, there's two things that really stick out back on our spaceship. One was I had the opportunity to live underwater. Um, this again was with NASA and it was at the Aquarius Reef Habitat off of the state of Florida. And again, we were using water to help us think through exploring our solar system. So we lived underwater in this habitat and we simulated spacewalks every day as if we were working at an asteroid. 
So I really love this project because as a geologist, it made me think about how would we sample an asteroid? What information would we want to be getting communicated back to the scientists and engineers back on Earth? And what parts of the asteroid would be important for us to collect and how would we do it? So I really love doing that because it brought back in my geology. And then what kicked this all off, why I became a geologist is when I was in undergraduate school, my very first year in college, I actually thought I would be studying only math because my mom had been a math major and a math teacher. So I thought, oh, I'll be like my mom and maybe I'll teach math. But I took an intro to geology class and that's when I fell in love with it. And so I had an opportunity to do an internship outside of our National Park Yellowstone. And that summer just was amazing. I was outdoors every day thinking about how glaciers, how specifically an ice sheet had once kind of, you know, flowed across this landscape and changed it and what evidence we, we could now map of where that ice had been. And that summer is what made me become a geologist, which then allowed me to be able to apply to become an astronaut. So it was a really critical summer. That's so cool. Yeah, I was just going to say, how did you end up going from that into being an astronaut? Yeah, well, that's an interesting story too, because ever since I was um, probably a third grader, I wanted to fly in space, but I also wanted to do a lot of other things. Like, like I said, my mom was a teacher, so was my dad. Um, although he also ended up working at Hewlett Packard as an engineer later. But I like loved science, math, technology, and engineering are the STEM fields. So when I was in third grade, uh, Sally Ride became the first American woman to fly in space. And that's about when you're like starting to even just think about like what's possible for me when I'm growing up. So I now believe it was possible for me to become an astronaut. And so I was able to attend space camp when I was in ninth grade. And I just like really loved learning as much as I could about space, whether it was from deep space and thinking about other galaxies or stars, the birth of stars or just our own solar system and thinking about like all these incredible planets and how they're so different or seeing humans flying space. You know, so was, I, I, all of that just was super interesting to me. So um, I studied geology. That seemed like a way that I could explore not only our earth, but like think about the solid planets in our solar system. And then I uh, was gonna take like a gap and serve in the Peace Corps it ended up that I didn't get to go on that Peace Corps mission because the country I was assigned to pulled away from Russia. But that sent me back to school to become a teacher. And in becoming a teacher, I, of course, taught science and I taught astronomy. And when I was teaching an astronomy class, one of my students asked, how do you go to the bathroom in space? And I wasn't sure. So I looked up, you know, how do you use the toilet on the space shuttle? And in finding the answer to that, I also found out how they were hiring teachers as part of the astronaut class of 2004. So they were hiring teachers. I was like, oh, they need science teachers. I can now apply. So it just brought everything back together in a way that I wasn't expecting, but that's how I became an astronaut from being a geologist and a science teacher. 
That's so funny that you found the link from just having to look something up for your students. That is one of the most popular questions at Supernova's space camps that we run. And I'm sure it's a question that you've gotten many, many times. Definitely. <laughs> so we've talked a lot about all the things that you've done and all the different jobs that you've had. But you mentioned to me earlier that you also keep up a lot with what's happening right now in space and the space industry. And you mentioned the Artemis mission because you thought it was pretty cool. What is the Artemis mission and why is it special? Yeah, so Artemis is the mission that is going to return us back to the lunar surface, so back to the moon, but also it's paving the way for us to be able to go on to Mars. And it's so cool because in this time frame, you know, we have been to the moon, but it was 12 men that were there before I was even born. And we haven't been back since then. And so this time we'll be sending women and people of color and it's gonna be an international endeavor. So we have over 20 countries that are involved in this. So again, it, to me, it's thinking about how do we learn more about our solar system? And as a geologist, it's thinking about how do we continue to understand our own orbiting moon? And then Mars is so fascinating. And I, I've always been fascinated by it, um, probably because a lot of the information that was coming back through early spacecraft and probes was about Mars when I was like, you know, growing up. And it continues to be. Obviously, it's a planet that we can go visit potentially with humans. Um, but it's going to be hard. And so we really need like everyone. And so that's why I'm excited about Artemis because it's it's going to involve multiple countries, astronauts that reflect all people across the earth. And it's going to be different too. I mean, we uh, are going to try to understand like where there's water, how we can um, use the water to sustain life and also prepare for vehicles being able to go further into space. So there's just so much good engineering and science that can be learned from it, as well as um, any time that we're working with our colleagues across the globe, um, just the relationships there and just building stronger ties too. I love that. So it really shows how space is really all about cooperation and international cooperation, as well as teamwork within your job. It seems like that's a huge part of it. And I love that about it. I have one kind of unrelated question for you. I read that you were or still are a member of an all astronaut band. And I need to know more. What is it? And how did it end up happening? <laughs> Yeah, well, it's a funny story. So um, we always joke, those of us that have been in the band, um, it's called Max Q, which is like a space term. It's my, the maximum dynamic pressure. And it's experienced when a spacecraft is launching through the atmosphere and it's going so fast, but it needs to, in the case, like when we're in the shuttle, it needs to throttle back because that air pressure, the atmosphere could actually like tear parts of the vehicle apart. And so it, it is a technical term, but the fun part is that it's a band of astronauts or people that work with us as astronauts because we've had 
our, our medical doctors, our um, space doctors have been part of the band and we joke that it's not our day job, but um, it's just a fun way to connect. And I was actually asked by Chris Hadfield to join. Uh, we were on a backpacking trip for the National Outdoor Leadership School. So we send astronauts on these backpacking trips to kind of think about how you live in an environment that's not comfortable, where you don't have everything that you need immediately at hand. And you can have discussions with people that have already flown in space. So it takes us away from our office, away from our families, puts us in, you know, like the mountains, or sometimes people go to the desert or to kayak trips. And you have to think through these things. So I was on this trip with Chris Hadfield and a few other astronauts that had already flown in space before I had flown in space. And so it was a, a chance to learn from them. And we just happened to climb this mountain and um, I don't know, we were singing some song and he was like, wait, you sing, you should be in the band. And I thought he was just joking. I'm like, oh, you know, but I had always sung in choir uh, when I was growing up. So I was like, oh, okay, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll come by one night when you guys are playing and I'll try. And uh, I did, and I had a lot of fun. I really liked the members. Uh, the members rotate, and um, sometimes there's a hiatus. I'm not sure if the band is active right now or not. But, yeah, so I'm not in it anymore. But when I was down in Houston, it was like whoever could play these different instruments, right? We needed some guitars. We needed drums. Uh, we had singers, pianists. So we, we took all folks that were willing to um themselves out there in a different way, I guess. <laughs> I, I love that. I love that it was Chris Hadfield on a backpacking trip that is like, yeah, join the band. Um, yeah. <laughs> if anybody listening doesn't know who Chris Hadfield is, because he was a very famous Canadian astronaut when I was a kid, I feel, because yeah. he was very well known for playing the guitar on the International Space Station and recording music videos and all sorts of things as well as being one of our Canadian astronauts. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Dottie. It was a pleasure. Yeah. I know you had to wake up quite early for this because you're currently on the other side, on the other coast. <laughs> oh, it's been really nice. And I, again, I love what you're doing with it. So thank you for asking me and have a great rest of your day too. Thank you so much, Dottie. And as always, a big, big thank you to everybody listening. If you'd like to hear more from Dottie and keep up to date with space news, you can follow her on Twitter at AstroDot. If you'd like some more science fun, you can also follow us on Twitter or Instagram at ScientistsDoPod, or you can head to bit.ly forward slash what do scientists do to check out all of our past episodes. Do you have a question that you'd like answered by one of our experts? Send us an email or a voice recording at what do scientists do at superstaff.ca and we might answer your question on the show. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next episode. Bye for now! This show is made by Supernova at Dalhousie University, a network member of Actua. For more information on our summer camps, workshops, and more, visit supernova.dal.ca. Thank <music> you.